Welcome to episode 50, wow, big milestone, of B2B SaaS Marketing Snacks. My name is Mike Northfield. I lead go-to-market and product marketing at Kalungi in T2D3, and I am here together again with uh, Stein Hendricks, who is a serial SaaS marketing executive, ex-product marketing leader at Microsoft, and uh, founder of Kalungi. And today we're talking about this new manifesto or challenge to the software subscription model SaaS by Jason Freed, who is the CEO of 37signals. And 37signals makes Basecamp and Hay. And essentially their stance is that customers should kind of once again be able to return to the old model of software where you could buy, buy it once and really own it. So the world where you could buy a box and inside the box was a CD, you could install it, it's on your computer, it lives there, and you only had to pay once for it. You don't have to pay a recurring subscription to to keep it so we talk about some of the pros and the cons of of both of these models the kind of pay once own forever and the software as a service model and then we speculate on why jason introduced this manifesto and uh kind of tie it into some larger themes in the software world um this is a little bit of a departure from our, our normal format on this podcast where we talk about frameworks and decision models for software marketing but i hope that uh, hope that you like it love to hear your feedback um more of a current event kind of topic, uh, but definitely when this came out, it made some waves in in our community. So we thought it would be worth talking about here. So yeah, as always, really appreciate you spending your time with us. You know, there's just like so much content out there, and uh, it's really special to have the community of folks that listen to to our podcast. And um, if you if you like our content and you like the podcast, we'd really appreciate it if you share it with others, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple or wherever it is that you're listening to this. And um, yeah, I appreciate you hanging out with us and uh, let's get into it. Now, specifically with technologies like blockchain, it is easier to have hybrids of that where the ownership can still be secured even if it's running run by someone else or it runs in a different place, right? Okay, so last month, Jason Freed, who is CEO of 37signals, uh, who also makes Basecamp and Hay, he kind of wrote a uh, manifesto with his own take on the, in like an anti-SaaS approach to building software. And they kind of argued for a return to the pay once, own forever, open source, and host on your own server model of software products. And so I'm curious, I'd love to hear your perspective on it and kind of I know that you also in your career you came from a world where that was software it was a very much a you own it you host it and the cloud and like SaaS is kind of was an evolution of that so I'm curious to hear your perspective on that but before I do that I'm gonna just for the people who are listening I'm actually gonna read the manifesto, just so you guys have full context on what we're talking about, uh, and also put a link in the show notes so you can check into it and read it on your own if you want. So it's once.com, and it's a letter from Jason Freed, CEO of 37signals, and it goes like this. Something happened to business software. You used to pay for it once, install it, and run it. Whether on someone's computer or a server for everyone, it felt like you owned it, and you did. Today, most software is a service, not owned, but rented, 
buying it enters you into perpetual landlord-tenant agreement. And every month, you pay for essentially the same thing you had last month. And if you stop paying, the software stops working. Boom, you're evicted. For nearly two decades, the SaaS model benefited landlords handsomely. With routine prayers and payers to the church of recurring revenue, valuations shot to the moon on the backs of businesses subscribed at luxury prices for commodity services they had little control over. Add up your SaaS subscriptions last year. You should own that shit by now. SaaS still makes sense for many products, but its grip will slip. Installation and administration used to be hopelessly complicated, but self-hosting tech is simpler now and vastly improved. Plus, IT departments are hungry to run their own IT again. They're tired of being subservient to big tech's rain clouds. Once upon a time, you owned what you paid for. You controlled what you depended on, and your privacy and security were your own business. We think it's that time again. Introducing Once, a new line of software products from 37 Signals. Pay one time, own forever. We write the code, you get to see it. We give you the software, you get to host it. Simple and straightforward, not enterprisey or bloated. For one fixed price, once. We'll be launching the first product late 2023 with more coming in 2024. In the early 2000s, we were among the early pioneers leading the industry into the SaaS revolution. And now 20 years later, we intend to help lead the way out. The post-SaaS era is just around the corner. There's so much here. So let's let's peel this back. It's like one layer at a time. First, you know, there's nothing, of course, new in this notion of buy versus own and you know, run versus uh, let someone else run it. It's whether you rent an apartment versus owning it or uh, have your money in a bank account versus having some bars of gold in a, in a safe at home, right? This whole notion of control and cost and the, 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 the different equations there that drive people's choices, nothing new. I, uh, I, so I've been in software for 30 years, Mike, and I, my first half of my career was at Microsoft, which arguably was the most successful perpetual software license company ever. And is probably now, if you look at sheer revenue, also the most successful SaaS revenue provider, uh, SaaS software provider, because Microsoft 365 is probably the largest SaaS business in the world. I always remind, try to remind people when the word SaaS, when you dissect what that really means, there's two S's there, right? There's the software part and there's the service part. The software being now hosted in the cloud and easy to be maintained and easy to access and easy to scale and the amount of resources it needs, et cetera. That's actually very beneficial from a technology perspective, just the way it works, but it doesn't say anything about the economics really. It just, just runs somewhere else. But you could still buy that software and maybe own it. You then have to pay some hosting fee somewhere, right? The service part is really the tricky part. And I think what happened in the last 10, sort of 15 years as SaaS, SaaS uh, industry matured is that companies have gotten more and more away with charging for providing a service in the form of a subscription commitment, right? People have to pay something, and if they don't, they can get cut off, right? The other side of that coin should be that you provide a service that is value the subscription that someone pays every year, right? And I think when... When SaaS companies can get into trouble, and I love what Jason Friedman and his team are doing, they're, they're basically challenging this, right? And this is great. There's going to be a little bit of tension here and mostly a competition and, and a challenge to SaaS companies to do the second S, to do it well, to provide that level of service. And with service, I don't mean 
customers. I don't mean support. I mean the service as in the service experience, the value of the service, right? It keeps increasing. It is worth you paying that subscription fee every every year, right? If you buy a book, you don't expect that book to get better. You know, the book will age and it will age well and you'll, you'll find it because you only paid once. You don't have to pay for the same book again, right? But if you subscribe to a magazine, you expect that magazine to be different every month, right? You expect if you buy uh, a, a paid a Patreon version of a podcast, you expect that podcast to keep making new content, etc. And that's, I think, when you're a SaaS company and you want your, your, your customers to keep paying, you, you just need to do the service part really well. And of course, you need to keep improving the software. And don't be mistaken, most perpetual software solutions that were any good and that people found valuable and, they, and customers kept using it over time, they also came with what's called maintenance fees, right? So these, these customers, they paid annual maintenance cost to get the latest version, to get bug fixes, right? To get support on that software. Because I don't know, you're a little younger than me, so this example you may not resonate with you, Mike. But I would challenge anybody who listens to our podcast to find a piece of software that's 10, 15 years old and try to install it on your computer and see if it runs. Mm-hmm. Probably won't, <laughs> right? <laughs> if I go find my WordPerfect copy, sure. WordPerfect 5.1 from 1990 or something like that, first of all, it's going to be on a, on a five and a quarter inch floppy disk that I, I could try to squeeze it into my USB drive. <laughs> it's not going to work. And then the, the CPU architecture of our computers is different now, right? Everything has changed. So unless that software evolves and constantly adapts to its environment, it's just not going to run anymore. So this notion of I buy something and it will work forever, that doesn't fly. You buy it and you own it, yeah, sure, but you might own a brick at some point, right? It just doesn't do anything. Um, so I think keeping those two things separate is important. But now let's talk about the things that are really good about this sort of anti-SaaS movement. I think there are a lot of scenarios where giving up too much control is not, is not in the best interest of the customer. And this could be for security and privacy reasons. It could be for, you know, the ability to customize the software, right? The, the, the essence of SaaS is that it's kind of the same thing for everybody, for all the tenants, right? Um, if you need to really optimize cost, and that is far more important to you than the software being up to date or the latest and greatest. If it's just the same thing that has to keep running for 10 years and do the same thing, buy it by all means, right? And don't, don't rely on another party to, to keep making it better or support it. Um, reliability and downtime, although it's really hard to beat the Azure's and the Amazon web services of the world in the reliability and uptime, they do have issues, right? There are SLAs that don't that are not perfect. Um, so if you have a, a need for a certain level of reliability and uptime that you can guarantee better yourself with a certain you know, dedicated piece of infrastructure, etc., then that's a good reason to do that, right? And then ownership and dependency. We live in a world where we've seen a lot of globalization in the last 20 years, but we also see some of that retract, right? There are some countries that don't trust other countries, right? So whether the software comes from one country versus another might be might be a, an important factor whether you want to own that or rent it, right? And how much control you want. I have a colleague who always talks about um, how for uh, people in certain parts of the world, the, the word copyright doesn't mean... The same. It's, it's uh, protected from copying. It means the right to copy. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, by the way, that's also when I was at Microsoft, before we, so I was there when we did the whole transition from Office 
on-premise perpetual software to Office 365. And one of the big things that people don't realize is that when the, in the perpetual model, of course, people bought the software, but it was digital. There were, st- there were bits, right? So, and they could be run in many times. You could buy it once and run it on many different computers, which drove, for example, piracy, sure. <laughs> right? Yep. There were a lot of people who were not paying for the software. So although in the model, you know, buy and own, there are usually two um, two winners, right? The person who owns it, the person who got some money. But as soon as the, the software gets copied and gets used without paying for it, of course, there's other issues there. Right. Meaning, you know, the, the people who may want to innovate the software and keep it high quality just need to have the financial means to do so, et cetera, et cetera. And SaaS solved for a lot of those things, right? So SaaS has brought a lot of good. But I think this movement and the things that Jason writes in that memo are a really great sort of counterweight to, I think, what a lot of SaaS companies have done in the last eight, nine years specifically, as SaaS kind of matured, is to just squeeze that subscription gravy train without providing a really uh, innovation and without making the software as good as it can be, without uh, providing a certain level of support. Yeah, so I think that that sort of, Mike, sums up why we are where we are and a little bit of pushback towards the money maybe having drifted a little too much to the supplier side versus customer maybe feeling they gave up too much control and they're now kind of, they have this like SaaS news around their neck <laughs> that they can't, they can't negotiate about the price, right? Because the, the vendor will just cut them off completely. And so, yeah, I think it's a good, it's a good kind of balance that we need to uh, maybe re- recalibrate. There's also this other thing when I talked about, you know, globalization and, and maybe software that's made in one country not being easy to, um, to rely on in another country. That is that becomes really important when you have a company that works with vendors and suppliers and distributors or other kind of business partners where the software has to work together. They need to use the same version of something, and then the same version of a piece of design software, for example. Then, of course, when when one country, uh, oh, sorry, one company has a subscription to a certain piece of software. And they work, let's say, in the U.S. And they work with a uh, with a provider in Indonesia, who says, "Well, we we don't want this U.S. piece of software to kind of run on our computer without us controlling it, having a little bit of control. Maybe they they need a perpetual version of that software that can just be installed locally, right? And then it's it's up to the U.S. provider of that software if they want to do that, right? If they if the business is worth it doing that, right? If they want to provide their Maybe the the company they, they they cater to in the U.S. that has a vendor in Indonesia with a with a way for them to to give that vendor access to the software maybe on a local infrastructure that may not have the right internet bandwidth or et cetera et cetera. So I think in the end those are just commercial trade-offs. But yeah, so the the real reasons behind this non-SaaS movement, let's summarize: kind of data privacy and security um, uh, concerns, customization, level of control, figuring out how do you optimize cost in the right way versus value. And there, I think a lot of com- companies can also just they can just challenge their SaaS service providers to provide that second S, right? The level of service, the quality of the software, the software has to evolve, and then reliability, downtime, and, and some form of dependency. Those are really the drivers. Got to own, you know, the rent, get, get, collecting rent. Mm-hmm. If you don't show up and do maintenance on the bad the bad top when it's clocked, you know, then. The, People are not want to pay you the SaaS fee every year, and it, it makes sense. I mean, I, from a consumer perspective, I like the concept because I also 
come I come from a design background and I used to own Adobe C- Photoshop CS3. You were like a proud owner, bro. I I was great. Paid was a lot it, of money for I it. I paid a lot of money for it because I wanted I didn't want to pirate it. I wanted to own it and I did. And it made you feel like a professional. Right? You knew what you were doing. Yeah. Just like with your MacBook. 100%. Exactly. There you go. <laughs> and I loved that I could boot it up anytime. Like, it was mine. I didn't need to. No phoning home. No logging in. Yeah. yeah. It was great. And I remember when um, the Creative Cloud came out and they swapped over to the subscription model. And I was upset about that because it it made it, I mean... Yeah, it was not. It was no longer yours. It's no longer mine. So, from a consumer perspective, I I get it. I like it. From the other side, right? Like we have we have Atlas. We have it's a product that is not on a subscription basis. We sell it once, and then we whoever buys it owns it, and they actually can update the source code if they want. We do provide updates for it, and we have an additional service component that we sell on top of that somebody can subscribe to. So we separate those two things and you pay separately for Which each Which was one very of those. common in the perpetual software world. That's what maintenance service calls are usually co- combined. Both the quality of the software gets better and you get a little bit of professional service or support. And I think what's also interesting too is that Jason, one of the points that he makes in this is that a lot of tools, because they have kind of been able to get away with locking people in for a specific functionality on their tool they can go build whatever they they create bloated products sometimes for no reason one of their takes is that it seems like they are on a mission to create point solutions that are really good at one thing and then selling those specific tools and not over over baking them so kind of like finding over serviced parts of a market building tools that work for them and then selling those specific tools which i think is interesting i'm really curious to see what comes out of this we are nearing the end of 2023 which is about time we should kind of start to see some of these things trickle out so i'm really curious to see what comes out of it i will definitely be following along and um maybe it's worth a a follow-up once once some of these come out we can kind of do like a a little retrospective and see see what's coming out of it yeah, another thing we'll find is, and that is already honestly the case, right? This is not that revolutionary. There are a lot of companies who buy SaaS solutions that they host in-house or they buy solutions where they have an agreement with a vendor that they have a certain level of ownership, cannot be taken away or shut off, and those those models exist. So there will be more hybrid solutions like that because also let's not be mistaken, the, the non-SaaS world cannot exist on its own. There is no... Way software is such a complex beast. It interacts with so many other pieces of software, so many hardware dependencies that, unless look at your MacBook, how often you have to do an update, or your phone iOS, right? Imagine someone needs to do that work. Someone needs to actually improve the software, and someone needs to pay for that, right? And so you either pay for that in the form of a subscription service or in a different way. Right, and there is there is going to be a need for constant improvement, innovation, support, etc. Those things will not go away. What's really cool, what I think enables some of these new hybrid models, is that it used to be pretty black and white. You either owned and controlled it, and you ran it yourself, or you completely outsourced it in a sort of tenant model, and you have to pay rent, etc. Now, specifically with technologies like blockchain, it is easier to have hybrids of that 
where the ownership can still be secured, even if it's running run by someone else or it runs in a different place, right? Or the reverse, you know, you can you can rent something, but because of certain new blockchain-like technologies, you can make sure that the part that you pay for is really partly yours. That kind of there is a certain level of customization, or there's a certain level of privacy that is not the same maybe as a completely rented a piece of software that is shared by everybody, etc. So I think there's a lot of new innovation coming that allows us to strike the right balance between those two. And it's also, it's not just SaaS, it's software as a service, as a service, information as a service, infrastructure as a service. There's a lot of these other as a service models out there that, to- that complete sort of the, the, the total solution that you need when you're interacting with software and the data that it uses and processes and stores, et cetera, right? And there's also something to be said about this model as being inherent to the software itself and the delivery method of, of, uh, of value, but also as a technique for positioning. I guarantee that there are some people who will be drawn to this specifically because of the philosophy of allowing people to pay once for something and then owning it. I know that, to your point, this is not a new idea. Like This is the way that software used to be sold. It's yeah, kind of the open return. source movement. Right? Totally. There's so many things that are behind this. Yeah. This manifesto, when, when Jason posted it, uh, it created a lot of noise for the last month on on LinkedIn, like in certain yeah, spheres. It's a great discussion. Because it, it added a new layer of visibility to it. And so I think there is a lot to be said about just using... Cause Basecamp and Hay are subscription models. And by the way, that's helping pay for Jason to be able to do these other things. Exactly. Right? And, and which is it's great, but you need to help them now. Yeah, I think it's really, really cool. There's a lot here. It'll be interesting to see where it goes. Yeah, that's a really interesting topic. Thank you for bringing it up. Yeah. Big thank you to Adriano Valerio for producing this episode and the Clingy team for helping us make this whole thing work. And of course, to you for choosing to spend your time with us. Without you and your support, we wouldn't be doing this. So we appreciate it. As a reminder, all the links that we mentioned in this episode can be found in the show notes. And if you if you want to submit a question or a topic that you'd like us to answer, um, you can do that at clingy.com slash podcast. Every time we record, we take one of the top three topics and we jam on it. So, um, yeah, thanks again. We'll see you next time.